I realized uh, last week I said something kind of off the cuff. At the end, I was, I was just setting up what we were going to talk about today. And uh, I said something to the effect of I was not looking forward to today. And uh, that, I, that wasn't in the notes. I wasn't planning on saying that. It just, I just, I don't know, just an offhanded uh, comment. And uh, so I ended up saying it in the second service too, because if I say something offhanded in the first service, I feel like I owe it to the second service to say the same thing. But driving home, I was like, I don't know that I should have said that. I mean, that's not a real good way to promote next week's message. Like, hey, I'm not looking forward to preaching this message, but come here. I mean, it's going to be good. Um, but this week, as I was studying and preparing, I realized why I wasn't looking forward to it. <laughs> because today we're looking at the stuff Jesus says about our stuff. So we're talking about our possessions this morning. You know, like the stuff we buy, the stuff we use, the stuff we keep, the stuff we can't get rid of, even though we really don't use it anymore, but we just can't bring ourselves to get rid of it. The stuff we stuff in our attics and our closets and that junk drawer in the kitchen and the, the storage unit and, you know, the stuff that we go into debt to have, the stuff that we really can't take care of anymore, the stuff that we sometimes hire, hire somebody else to take care of for us so that we can keep maintaining all the stuff. That's what we're talking about today. That's why I wasn't looking forward to today because all the other, like... We're in a series about slowing down. This is about, you know, finding rest and, you know, simplifying our lives and all that kind of stuff. And everything we've talked about thus far is about our time. So silence and solitude is really about carving out a daily quiet time, like some time in the day we can just be silent. Sabbath is about a weekly quiet time or a day of rest. And um, today is about our money. And you may be wondering, well, what in the world does money have to do with hurry sickness? What in the world does money have to do with uh, possessions have to do with slowing down and simplifying? What does it have to do with this at all? And I'll answer that question in just a minute. But first, I want to rip the Band-Aid off and go ahead and look at what Jesus says about it and what Paul says about it. I want to I look at the teaching first, and then I'll give you some practical application of how we might be able to apply this teaching. So if you've got a Bible with you, go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and I'll, it will be on the screen as well. I always have it on the screen, but I always encourage you to bring a Bible as well because if you got your own text, you're able to kind of look at the context a little bit better. But in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, if you got a newer translation that puts subtitles on there, uh, this is the NIV, and it says, The Parable of the Rich Fool. And so it says, Sometime, or someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to him, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, that's, <clears throat> that's not the story. That's not the parable. But that is the reason why he tells the parable. So Jesus, before he tells the parable, he tells us why he's going to tell the parable. He's warning the story will be used as an illustration of what happens when uh, you succumb to greed or you derive the meaning of life from an abundance of possessions. This, the story is like going to be a cautionary tale about what happens when we derive the meaning of life from the abundance of possessions. And Jesus is telling us, obviously, don't do that. That's really hard to do in a society and a culture that not only rewards greed, but derives meaning and purpose from an abundance of possessions. 
I mean, we constantly, we've got constant advertisements every day. You've probably heard a half a dozen or a dozen on the way to church this morning encouraging us to find meaning and value in our possessions. And we talk, I've talked before about like wants versus needs. You've heard a lot of preachers talk about that, like wants versus, you know, we have what we need, but there's what we want and that kind of stuff. In uh, Comer's book, he talks about needs versus desire. And I, and I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Like we, we most of us have everything we need. I, I mean, for the, for the most part, we have what we need. We have, most of us have food, shelter, clothing, you know, like we've got the basic necessities that we need in order to, to have life and in order to be fairly comfortable in that life. But desire is something that we're constantly, it, it's being, we're being told we need more to really be happy. We need more to really have the life that is truly life. Um, John Rockefeller, who's the country's first billionaire, maybe the wealthiest man who ever lived, but uh, he was once asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And I thought, how very American of him, because that's the mindset we have. How much money is enough? How much do you need to be happy? Just a little bit more. How much do you need to be comfortable? Just a little bit more. How much do you need to have meaning and purpose in your life? Just a little bit more. And so Jesus is saying, watch out. That is a dangerous way of thinking. Be careful. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And here's the story. He told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Common problem that we have, not with crops, but we have no place to store our boats and our motorcycles and our stuff, you know, the clothes and that kind of thing. He said, what am, what am I going to do? I don't have any place to store all of my possessions. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you, and then what will you get with what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So again, this is a, most of Jesus' stories are self-explanatory. You don't really need anybody to explain them to you, but I mean, it, it's simple. It's money, possessions, assets is not the source of happiness, it, we it, the the more we have of those things um, doesn't bring doesn't make life easier and it doesn't make life more merry. There's a limit to it. There's a, like once most people reach uh, this limit, and uh, he talks about that in the book. I don't know about his statistics there, but I think you know what we call the middle class. You know it, that for 200 years it's been called middle class. I guess in Western societies, like there's once people reach that limit, having more doesn't really make them happier or having more doesn't really make things easier there's a journalist by the name of greg easterbrook that put it this way he said adjusting for population growth 10 times as many people in the western nations today suffer from unipolar depression and he defines that as unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause he says 10 times as many people in western nations suffer than that than that, that half a century ago americans and europeans have more of everything except happiness if you think about that, that's really interesting to think. I mean, if you think from, from a couple of generations ago, we, like, we have more. We have more possessions, more stuff, um, more wealth than, you know, go two, three generations ago. Except we have less happiness. 
Why is that? That, that, that we say that, I, we always, like, we ask that question, like, well, that's surprising. You mean we have more stuff and we don't have more happiness? Like, we're always surprised by that. Well, it's because happiness doesn't really derive from possessions. Jesus teaches that, and uh, just life basically teaches that. I mean, ha- happiness comes from having our basic needs met, from being in relationships and community, and from having a deeper purpose and value in our lives. That's where, you know, if you look at the social sciences, that's, that's where they'll say happiness comes from. And so Jesus is warning against, don't put your worth in possessions. And then look at what he says next. This is verse 22. Keep reading. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And he goes in this teaching on worry that, that most of us are familiar with. This is where he says, you know, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Or um, don't worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. He gives the example of the birds and example of the wildflowers. And he closes this teaching in verse 32 by saying, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, it's not difficult to understand what Jesus says here. What's interesting to me as I was looking at it this week is we're, most of us are very familiar with what Jesus says about worry, about do not worry. And that's in the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he talks about as well. He sandwiches the do not worry passages with teachings about money, indicating to us that what he's talking about when he says do not worry really has to do with money and possessions as well. Because he says, therefore, and like if you look right before that, he tells the story of, let me tell you the story of a rich man who built bigger barns to store all of surplus grain, thinking that more stuff would make him happy, and it didn't turn out for him well. Therefore, do not worry. And then he closes and says, matter of fact, sell your stuff. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. Don't put your, your trust in earthly things. Put your trust in heavenly things. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he, he puts all of this in the context of possessions. And what Jesus says about our possessions uh, not only has depth to it, but it has practicality to it. Because what Jesus says is, you know, that, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does this have to do with time? Your treasure will consume your time as much as it consumes your money. Your treasure will consume your focus as much as it consumes your money. And your treasure will consume your attention as much as it does your money. Let me show you one more passage. Uh, 1 Timothy. This one is one of the disciples of Jesus by the name of Paul. Taking what Jesus said. I marked this one because I always have trouble finding Timothy. Uh, this one is, he's taking what Jesus said and he's applying it to, um, he's writing a letter to a young man named Timothy who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a port city. There's a lot of wealth and there's a lot of commerce and a lot of business in Ephesus. And so apparently there's a lot of wealthy people in the church, uh, in Ephesus. And Paul gives Timothy these instructions on what they should teach. This is first Timothy chapter six or chapter six, verse six. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we can be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Then verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And again, there's a ton of depth to what Paul is saying here, and there's a ton of practicality to what Paul is saying here. He's not condemning wealth. He's not condemning money. He's condemning the love of money. He's condemning the pursuit of wealth as a path to contentment. He's condemning greed, and he's warning. And it's it's almost like you can hear Paul repeating the words of Jesus. Jesus says, watch out, be on the lookout for all forms of greed. And it's almost like Paul is repeating the same warning to Timothy to say, teach the people in Ephesus to watch out. Be on your guard because wealth will make you arrogant and wealth will make you lose your focus and it will make you lose your priorities. Just be be careful. And he gives some very practical things too uh, here as well. And and that's, I just wanted you to hear the teaching. And and I know some of you have heard this many, many times before. This passage is one we probably ought to read multiple times a year or, or really like once a week. In America, once a week, we probably sit down and read that, you know, command those who are rich in this present world, because that's most of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, but instead to do good, to do good and to be rich in good deeds. Like, we ought to read that all the time, because it's, it's, it's very, very difficult in this country, in this culture, in this day and age, to apply uh, what Jesus is teaching here and what Paul's teaching here. But in all of these messages, I've tried to give, like, practical tips and because I wanted you to like, we know the teaching, but I want to have practical tips of like, what do we do? How do we apply this teaching to our life and our everyday life? What do we, how do we make sense of what Jesus says and Paul says, and how do we live that out practically? And um, I've stole some of those from John Mark Homer. I've come up with some of them by myself. Uh, this week, I just I could steal from Jesus and Paul. I just I just went straight from Jesus and Paul. Just like, what does Jesus say? And I want to do what he says. And what does Paul say? And I'll do what he says. And, but I first probably need to answer that question I asked just a minute ago. And that, you know, what is, what are possessions, what does all this have to do with hurry? Like, why are we reading about bigger barns and, and parable of the rich fool and, and what Jesus, and what Paul says to the rich? You know, why, why are we reading about that? I thought we were talking about resting and slowing down and, you know, uh, having Sabbath and that kind of thing. What does, what does money have to do with any of that? Well, any of us, uh, if we think about it, realize that possessions cost more than money. They cost time. Because when we possess something, we have to take care of it. Uh, we have to fix it. We have to maintain it. We have to store it. We have to keep working so that we can keep making the payments on it. Um, we have to, uh, you know, to clean it. We, it co- we have to worry about using it. If you think about like when the more possessions we have, the more we have to worry about using all the possessions we have. Because if I get the new boat and the boat's sitting in the garage, I start feeling guilty about, man, we had not taken the boat out in a while. I feel like we need it. So it costs time because I've got to go take it out or get a new motorcycle and I'm feeling guilty because, gosh, I hadn't ridden in forever. We got to go out and ride the motorcycle. We got to go, we've got the condo. We haven't used it in so long. I got to go, we got to go use the condo. You know, like that's, that's when you, the more possessions you have, the more time it costs. And uh, Comer, I'm going to quote him because this is great right here he says what if having more stuff often just equals more stress 
more hours at the office, more debt, more years working at a job that I don't feel called to, more time wasted cleaning and maintaining and fixing and playing and organizing and reorganizing and updating all that junk <laughs> that I don't even need. What if more stuff actually equals less of what matters most, less time, less financial freedom, less generosity, which according to Jesus is where the real joy is, less peace as I hurry my way through the mall parking lot, less focus on what life is really about, less mental real estate for creativity, less relationships, less margin, less prayer, less of what I actually ache for. What if I was to reject my culture's messaging as a half-truth at best or a full-on lie and live another message? He calls it another gospel. What if I was to live another gospel? Like, you know, what, what Jesus calls us to or what, what Paul calls us to. And so um, I want to talk practical tips. And, I, and again, these are just what I'm seeing when I read through the text. These are things that I'm seeing. And uh, I always encourage you in your groups to come up with more, like to talk more about these things of like how we can, because that's one of the things I think we have small groups for is to, to practically apply the teaching. Here's the teaching. This is what the scriptures say. And small groups is the yeah, but how. So when you get in small groups, I hope you sit around and go, well, that was a good sermon, but how in the world do you do that? Like, what, in real life, what does this look like in real life? You know, I got kids and a job and a family. How do I do this in real life? And so here's some real life. Um, I'm, three things from Jesus. Here's what Jesus tells us to do. Uh, sell some stuff, give away some stuff, and throw away some stuff. Um, that's the teaching of Jesus right there. So that, those, are the, those are the things we need to do. What I'm trying to say is Jesus' point is, we have too much stuff. We, we have, we're all guilty of the bigger barn syndrome. We have too much stuff. And so some of it, I mean, Jesus literally says, sell it. Right? You, I heard that when I read that. Jesus said, sell your possessions, give the poor. I'm not saying that we have to sell everything we have and give to the poor. Jesus did once say that to the rich young ruler, but he was trying to make a bigger point there. But we, we do have stuff that we can sell and give to the poor. I mean, we, we absolutely do have stuff that we don't use. Um, maybe we do use it, but not enough or whatever. And say, you know what? I could take that. I'm not riding that bike anymore. It's been sitting there. I, I've been, I'm going to get back into biking. You know, it's been sitting there for five years. I could sell that, and I could give that to a charity that's, that's serving the poor. Or I could, you know, I could take the, there's some stuff in my garage. I could clean out my garage, and um, I could take some items, and I could put them up for sale. Like, we, got a, we have a member that does that for Crossroads to Home, not his stuff. He'll, he'll do your stuff. Like, you don't even have to sell it yourself. Dan Lee, like, if you've got something you want to get rid of, I take a picture of it. We had some desks at the church. Take a picture of them. Hey, Dan, we're getting rid of these desks. And he'll take them and put them on Facebook Marketplace and sell them. And then whatever he gets for them, he gives the money to Crossroads to Home, to the homeless ministry. Like, that's a, that's a cool thing. That's what Jesus calls us to do. So sell some stuff. Give away some stuff. We got, it'd be scary to count the number of shirts in your closet, I'm guessing. Or the number of shoes in your closet. You don't have to give me a number. But it'd be scary to think about. We got way, we got way more than we can wear. And we're either waiting on it to come back into style or, uh, you know, I give it 25 years, you know, once I got rid of all my plaid, it came back. I told, I told my wife it was coming back. But anyway, you know, we, we sit and wait on it for years. Or uh, we think I'm going to fit back in it one day. You know, like those pants will fit again one day. But, I mean, that we, could, we could go through right now and clean our closets, and probably all of us have two or three bags that we could take. And there's places that will help us give these away, common threads, thrift love, um, 
uh, Goodwill if you want to. I mean, there's plenty of places that would help us give, give that uh, to folks. And then the last one's just some of the stuff nobody needs to have. <laughs> we just need to th- I mean, some of it's just junk. It really is just junk, and we need to throw it away. You'd be surprised at how many people bring stuff to the church and say, hey, do you got anybody can use it? Like donate, they're donating their old books or their old stuff. And You know what we do with it? We take it to Goodwill. Uh, or, or we throw it away. I mean, some of it's just stuff to throw away. I mean, it literally just, just cleaning stuff, some stuff out. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and warn you, though, on this. If you do what Jesus asks you to do, uh, it will cause some fights. Because, you know, if, if we're talking about cleaning out something, and I'm not talking about reorganizing. When we talk about cleaning out something, we're not talking about reorganizing it. That doesn't count. Like, you know, we cleaned it out. We, re- we didn't get rid of anything. We just reorganized it. Oh, wow. Okay, well, your possessions look much better arranged like that than they did when they were all cluttered. No, we're talking about getting rid of stuff. Okay, getting rid of stuff. Um, it will cause some fights because there, you all know this, there's two types of people in the world, right? There's those of us that when we clean out something, we can throw it all away. Yeah, I mean, we will throw everything away. We have no qualms whatsoever about throwing stuff away. It actually feels good to throw stuff away. And then there are people that can't bear to throw anything away because you know, that's still good. We may use that one day. I mean, it's, we had, no, we hadn't used it 15 years, but it's possible that we may need that one day. We can't throw that away. And um, those two people always marry each other. Okay, so... I won't tell you which one I am, although I am preaching a message trying to say Jesus tells us to throw stuff away. So um, I'm trying to like, I've got an ulterior motive here. I can't be trusted to clean out certain parts of our house because, yeah, like Jenny has to go through the trash. Like, give me the trash bag. Come here. What have you done? You know, (laughs) but it's just really finding ways. We, We got too much stuff. How do we reduce? And this is about simplifying. This is about simplifying. There's tons of books out there on minimalism. And that's just a fancy, secular way of saying what Jesus teaches us to do with possessions. I mean, it's like all these authors are coming up with minimalism like, look at what we thought of. Wow, we're really genius. We thought like you could reduce your possessions and all that. Oh, like not build bigger barns. So anyway, practical stuff from Paul. Real quick, these three. Um, Be realistic. Be grateful. Be generous. This is what I got out of uh, 1 Timothy. Be realistic is about setting expectations. Um, there are limits. We, there are limits. It's called an income. That, that determines a limit. Uh, it's called a budget. That determines, like, we can't own everything in the world. We can't do everything in the world. We can't have everything in the world. There are limits. We may want a new car, but there are limits as to what kind of new car we can get based on what we earn and what our budget is. And we may want a particular house or whatever, and there's limits to that. I mean, they're just, so we got to be realistic about those expectations. You know, your grandparents called that living within their means. And, and we, we have to live within our means when it comes to our possessions. We have to be realistic about what we can afford because when we buy stuff we can't afford, it doesn't reduce our stress, Right. That only increases stress because then we got to pay for it. Uh, be grateful is uh, the way I interpret what Paul says about being content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I think contentment comes from being grateful. Having, having an attitude of gratitude is where we, where we earn contentment because gratitude is focusing on what I have and being grateful for what I have right now, not what I wish I had and not what I desire. 
So uh, advertisers are always trying to knock us off our game when it comes to contentment because their job is to, to t- say, you're not content with this. And if you had this new thing, you would be way more content. And so the, being grateful for what we have, just thanking God for what we have is a way to, to combat that. And then be generous. You know, Paul says it and uh, Jesus say it. That is the simplest way to fight against a culture of excess is generosity. And, and being generous is just about giving, giving away, giving away a portion of what we have. I mean, that's a, that's a very simple way to be generous. Uh, I'll, I'll give you some homework here, and then I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, go home at some point and look at everything you earn. And I don't care if you do this on a monthly basis, an annual basis, however you want to do it. Look at everything you earn. Like, where do I get sources of income? And then look at everything you give to all sources, not just church, but to all sources. Look at everything you earn and look at everything you give and calculate the percentage. And if it's less than 2%, which is the American average, 2% of, 2.1% actually of disposable income is what Americans give to charity. If it's less than 2% is not enough. You can do more. I mean, you really can. If it's less than 2%, you can do more. And this is not like, a, that's not a pitch like you need to give more to the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what you give to all charity. If it's less than that, I promise you, we can do, we can do way more than that. Uh, I kind of like Rockefeller's principle for money if we applied it to generosity. Because every time you talk about money, you know, the, people want to say, well, what if, if it's 2%, should I be doing 3 Should I be doing 4 5 10 You know, 15 What should I be doing? And take Rockefeller's principle with money. How much is enough giving? Just a little more. <laughs> like, I mean, you don't have to turn into a legalistic activity to say, I just need to give a little more. I, because giving uh, keeps us humble. It keeps things in perspective. It keeps us focused on the right things. If I could just give a little more, um, that keeps me in the right frame of mind. That keeps me centered when it comes to possession. The, the answer to to the antithesis of greed is generosity. And um, interestingly enough, I found that Rockefeller quote, and that kind of took me down the rabbit hole with Rockefeller, and I discovered that, guess what that guy did? Gave away most of what he earned. He was the wealthiest man in the world. He was the country's first billionaire, and in, a, in inflation dollars, he may have been the wealthiest man who ever lived in, in inflation if we took his income and made it uh, what it was today. Before he died, he gave away $500 million of his uh, assets, which adjusted for inflation is billions of dollars. And he was motivated by his Christian faith. He was a devout Baptist. And he actually hired a Baptist minister to organize. He, he decided he was going to start giving away things to, for, for poverty and, and to, for, uh, to fight racism and um, for injustice, like there's four or five different categories he had where he was going to start giving away money. And he started giving away money, and he had so many requests for it, and he was giving away so much money, he's like, I can't even keep up with this. And he hired a Baptist minister to help manage it, and that created the modern philanthropy organization. Today we have foundations. And what was interesting to me is that since Rockefeller's death, the foundation he created has given away $18 billion dollars. <laughs> And I don't know, we look at that and go, well, yeah, if I had a billion dollars, I'd sure be generous too. No, we wouldn't. No, <laughs> because 
there's somebody wise once said, you know, if you can be generous with a little, you know, it's how you use a little is, is based on what you're going to do with a lot and how you use a lot. And so just you start the practice of taking whatever it is, whatever God has given us, and I'm grateful for whatever income God has given us. I'm grateful for whatever assets God has given, and I'm going to be generous with what God's given. And that's what fights against. Uh, well, that's, that's really the way you simplify I mean, that fights against the greed and, and the desire and all those things. That's the things that keep us, keep us centered. So let me uh, say a prayer for us, and I'm, well, let me say a prayer for us. Uh, Father, I want to I thank you for the teaching of Jesus. It is hard to hear, and it, is, we, they all, it always hits us between the eyes when we read his teachings and what he says about money. Um, but it is what we need to hear. That's why it hits, hits us between the eyes because we're hearing what we need to hear. And so I pray that you give us ears to hear the things that Jesus says here and that we have the courage to be more generous and to be realistic and to be more grateful and, uh, and to, to give, to, to sell some stuff, throw away stuff, to the things that we, we know we've got too much stuff and help us to have the courage to kind of reduce and simplify and see what that does for us. Um, just pray you help us to do those things, to follow the teachings of Jesus and the ways of Jesus as, as his disciples. And that's his, his son's name. It's in his name I pray. Amen. All right. Um, I was laughing just a little bit right before I prayed because I looked down and the next thing is giving. I didn't plan this this way. I just, it just, we put it at the end. Um, but where is it? There's all the ways you give. Uh, to Murray Hills. While you're doing that, let me let me talk just a little bit about what's coming up. Uh, step one luncheon is today. If you signed up for that, it'll be at about twelve fifteen. So uh, come back and remember, we got forty something people signed up for that today. So I always say we got plenty of food. Come on. I don't know if we do today or not, but you can still come if you want to. If you didn't get signed up and you want to come, you can still come today. Uh, but that's happening right after second service. Not so scary Halloween. Do I have that? Oh, I got that. Yeah, that's coming up October 30th, but we're going to start collecting candy for it next Sunday because we, we need a tremendous amount of candy. So we're going to go ahead and start collecting candy for that. The collection bins will be out, and you'll be hearing a whole lot more about our not-so-scary uh, Halloween party. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, there's a table in the back. Aubrey's back there. Are you the volunteer they're going to talk to, Aubrey? Yes. Oh, that could be dangerous. Okay. I didn't know which volunteer was going to be back there. Tammy just said she was going to man it with a volunteer. Um, our, we did that ministry marketplace several weeks ago, and it was really good, and we got a lot of people interested in volunteering. But we realized there were like six or seven options, and you had ten minutes to talk to everybody. And if one person got to talking to the ministry leader there, you didn't get a chance to talk to that ministry leader. Cause we just, so we said, that, that's not really a really good way to do that. It'd be better to just do one ministry at a time. And so we said, let's just kind of spread it out throughout the year. And the first one we were going to do was kids' ministry. Because kids' ministry takes more volunteers on a Sunday than any other ministry we do at this church. Uh, we average about 80 kids on a Sunday. And you say, well, how do you take care of, that's fourth grade and down. How do you take care of kids, 80 kids, fourth grade and down? How, what kind of staff you got? One. <laughs> we got Miss Tammy. That's our staff. She's a staff of one. 
her primary job is recruiting and coordinating and organizing volunteers because our children's ministry is a volunteer-led ministry. It's a volunteer-run ministry. And I asked Tammy to pick out one of her volunteers for you to talk to. And she picked out the best one right there. So Aubrey's been volunteering in the children's ministry for how long, Aubrey? Years. A lot of years. And uh, he told me, I think years ago, he would never, wasn't going to do that. He taught college students, not fourth graders, fifth graders, and that kind of thing. He's doing it. Um, but you can go back and talk to him about what it looks like to volunteer in the kids' ministry, how much time it takes, you know, what do you, what do you have to do, you know, what's it like, and all that kind of stuff. So I want to encourage you, if you are interested in it, you've been thinking about looking for ways that you can plug in this church, and that's, this is one of the areas that you could plug in, go talk to Aubrey. And there's information back there. You can sign up for some information for serving there. Uh, we are always needing volunteers to serve in the kids' ministry. I will tell you, you got to pass a background check. Uh, you got to, Miss Tammy's going to have to interview you or know you just a little bit. And if this is your first Sunday at Murray Hills, you can't volunteer yet. I'm sorry. We got from protocols in our children's ministry where you got to have attended for so long and you got to pass the background checks. And those are just safety protocols for our children's ministry. But um, if you've been here a while and been looking for a place to plug in but you hadn't plugged in yet, Children's Ministry is a great place to do that. So go back and talk with, uh, with Aubrey. So uh, next week, I am looking forward to next week's message. And it's got a ton of practical tips in it. I already kind of peeked ahead. We're talking about slowing down. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm terrible at it. That's why I'm looking forward to it. And that, so slowing down, and that will be the last message uh, in this series. So have a great rest of the day. Y'all go talk to Aubrey. Go, he's going to have his feelings hurt if nobody goes and talks to him. So y'all go talk to Aubrey, and I'll see you next Sunday. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.